You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. from the seven. Vandal Jones on third down, lobs one up. There is a flag, and it is a catch by Sterling Shepard for a Giants touchdown. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Hello there, Grump. Happy um, happy training camp as we are now in... Happy Pads Day. Happy Pads Day. You know, as we, we're inching closer and closer to really having football. So, uh, yeah, celebrate every milestone we can, whether it's football or life. So this is, this is another little thing to celebrate, I guess. This, yeah, no, this is this is great. Uh, you know, there were there were times way earlier this year where I thought that you know there'd be no problem affecting the football season, and then there were some really dark times where I thought maybe there's a, a serious chance that nothing gets off the ground. Right now, it looks like everything is going pretty well. Players are tested all the time. It's been a while since I've heard about a positive test. Uh, you know, a couple days, um, positive tests are, are reported and, and players isolated. So. You know, there's been a fairly small spread. Um, you know, everything seems to be taken under control, which is this is all really good news. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of medicine 101. I guess if you are isolated in a bubble and you're, you know, it's not introduced inside that bubble, people are not going to get it. And you know, that's that's fine and dandy and great right now. But uh, what happens? Several when... weeks to go. <laughs> Yeah, when when the bubble kind of bursts and and people are in you know kind of real life and that's you know that's that's the big sixty four thousand dollar question. But not only the players and the staff, but what happens when you know the public starts getting introduced to it? And you know the I know there are a few teams, the Giants and Jets included, will not have fans, but some said there will be some fans. So that's the perfect environment right now is what the bubble is. And, you know, um, as we're, we're recording this on a Tuesday, we apologize. We're a day late. And, you know, I have on the big screen, the uh, Oklahoma city, Houston, and I'm watching the, the basketball playoffs and they've had a bubble since they, you know, for the last month or so. And the number of cases have been, has been tiny, you know, hockey, no cases, same thing. So let's see when that bubble is pierced, what happens. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't want to belabor this because we've been talking about it for a long time. But I, again, we're, we're most of the problem is going to be players, uh, you know, tra- traveling outside of their norm. You know, having people over and stuff like that. So I'd expect some problems maybe after Labor Day, maybe a small spike, um, and, and, and you know, maybe Thanksgiving, Christmas time. We might be seeing some some relaxed, you know. Cases are going to happen. It's going to be how quickly they're identified and how quickly they're quarantined away. It's something where, you know, somebody is tested. You know, again, this is not a testing situation like the general public where, you know, who's getting tested, who's not getting tested, the reliability. These are everybody's constantly tested with good testing equipment, and uh, you know, it's how fast will. How fast will they act? How fast will they identify something and isolate and move on from there? So that that's going to be the key to prevent it from becoming a hotspot. Right, and, and you know, if you guys are interested to see to see with your eyes just how in depth this stuff is, uh, if you have HBO, check out Hard Knocks. It, it, it is crazy. Um, I mean, it's not crazy. It, it's all warranted, but it, it's it's very unfamiliar. Um, it's very efficient. It appears, and uh, you know. It's really interesting if you want to check that that kind of thing out. If that's you know whatever. In addition to the normal interesting stuff that Hard Knocks has, it's got a whole other thing to tackle with two teams doing their their COVID testing and, and distancing and stuff. It's it's really interesting. Um, pads pads broke out this week. Interesting, great, wonderful. We got our first you know reporters at, at training camp, so we got an inside look. You know the public can't go. That sucks. That's usually a thing that Cranky Fan and I will will truck out out there for. Uh, yeah. Just kind of get a get a look, see of what's going on. That can't happen, so we'll just have to look at Twitter instead, which is fine. Um, but there is some housekeeping to do. So first and foremost, there was a small buzz of displeasure when Leonard Williams came in with some hamstring soreness. He has been activated. He's off whatever physically unable to perform list or whatever the hell he was on. He's activated. He's participating. 
No worries there. Uh, Chandler Catanzaro has already left the team. He's been cut. Graham Gano has been signed, former Panther. Um, yeah. Any thoughts there? I know, I know you have some thoughts that are irrelevant to everything in the universe, but well, you know, you know obviously the fact I hate you know bringing a knoll into the Giants bubble, you know, that makes me very sad, of course. But uh, you know, Graham Gano hit that was a sixty-two yarder in that game in uh, Carolina a couple years ago it that felt we were like at eighty yards. Yeah, it was kind of like. It was like, why are they kicking this? And we both looked at each other like, you know, of course, he's going to hit this, right? Yep. And sure enough, he nailed it. So Not only that, uh, he, he had plenty of leg to spare on that kick, too. That wasn't just over the crossbar. Yeah, but I think, you know, let's be, you know, being practical for a minute and talking about the Giants in 2020, getting a guy like him off the, you know, off the streets, I think, is kind of fortunate. I mean, this isn't some yeah. guy that we don't, we don't know if this is a guy who can, you know, hit an extra point or not, or just somebody who came off the, uh, AFL two roster somewhere. I mean, this is a, you know, a legitimate NFL kicker. So the fact that we were able to, you know, get lucky to getting a hold of him, you know, that's even if it's just on a short term basis, you know, that's good, I guess. No, let's, yeah, let's, I mean, let's see what, let's see what happens. I, I would be surprised if he turns out to be some colossal bust. I mean, this is a guy with a track record. I'm not even entirely sure why he's out on the street to begin with at this time, um, but I'll take it. You know. Uh, and apparently the Giants will take it without a competition at, at all. You know, I thought it was interesting. He was out on the street. They signed Catanzaro anyway. Um, and then without even a competition, they cut Catanzaro and signed Gano. So I, I'm not really – maybe they had initially reached out to Gano and couldn't reach a deal. And so they – you know, and then things fell into place after signing Catanzaro. I'm not really sure. It's possible. Yeah. Sure. Um, the other thing we have some, some cleaning up to do, you know, we, we – Wax poetically about Ross Cockrell in the last episode, and that deal fell through at the eleventh hour. Uh, that sucks. That's that's a bummer. Um, I'm not going to sit here and act like we just missed out on some first round draft pick corner who's the next big thing. But you know, as far as this team is concerned, he might as well have been. I mean, we, he needed. We need some veteran savvy. And, and and stability at the other corner position, and it's gone now, and that sucks. That's true, but we also have no idea what actually happened either. You know, it's. I mean, he could have came in and been a real dick during negotiations or something, or wasn't healthy, or you know, who knows what. So, um, I think there, I was arguing with somebody on Twitter last week about you know, we got to get rid of Gettleman now, and I was like, for what? And it's like we can't even sign a crappy cornerback. It's like, well, if you think he's crappy, why would we sign him? And you have no idea what happened. So it's just, you know, it's really ridiculously silly and stupid. Uh, to, you know, again, if you don't like Gettleman, it's in your ledger, you know. But, uh, you know, who knows what happened? It's unfortunate. You know, somebody with his, you know, track record and pedigree would be nice to have. We, we need something desperately, you know, on the other side. But, uh, you know, we're just going to have to, you know, Wait till cut down day and find somebody else off the scrap heap, I guess. Yeah, I have to think that something haywire went on with, with Cockrell or his agent because it was another thing where we kind of thought that he would be re-signed. And this is a prior regime. This is a Jerry Reese regime that we thought he would be re-signed and he wasn't. Um, I, I wonder if he's got some like weasel for it. I don't know who his agent is or – you know, or, or maybe he's just you know not so good at communicating what it is he wants until the end or – who knows? Well, it can't, but. it can't be that could have been agent if he was, you know, jobs are slipping through his fingers. So I mean, it could be something physical. I mean, again, we're speculating. We have no idea. Yeah. And well, in I, the grand, I'm certainly not going to put the onus directly on just the general manager. I mean, anything could have. Well, that's, yeah, we don't. Have, you don't have a hard on for uh, for Gettleman either. No. Like, well, obviously. so I, I I am saying I, I'm very pleased. You know, we've gotten a bunch of new listeners. Uh, thanks in part to Talking Giants podcast, which is awesome. And I appreciate all you guys, but I, I feel even stronger about the track record that this show has because in one week I have been called overly pessimistic and I have also been called overly optimistic. So that tells me that I must be doing something. I might be right down the middle in reality here. <laughs> um, that, and that's what it. I strive to be. I strive to be in the most realistic sense that I, I can be. I, I try to be optimistic. I want this team to go 16-0. and 0. Every year, you know, I, that's what I want. I want to see right. that. Uh, I try to keep it in reality, but I try not to be doom and gloom 
you know, if if I actually do see light at the end of the tunnel, if I do think we're going in the dire- right direction, I'm going to say it, and I'll, I'll point out all the reasons why. But th- you know, this tells me that you and I are doing something here that's that's right. So I, you know, well, we're not here to blow smoke up people's ass because a enough people can do that for you out there, and b you know, you don't really need help if, doing that. <laughs> if I see something that's blue and I tell you it's red, you're going to be like, wait a minute, it's blue. So why would we even do that? So, I mean, that's what we're trying to do. But I think uh, talking about optimistic versus pessimistic, I want to kind of segue a little bit into, uh, for all of you guys out there who are giant season ticket holders, I'm sure you got in the last day or so an email from the Giants of a quick survey going through, you know, wanting some of the thoughts and opinions of season ticket holders. And a lot of it was about COVID and, you know, getting ready for, would you be comfortable going to Giant Stadium if, uh, you know, you had to wear masks or, you know, all these different things? And one of the questions I thought was interesting in there, and I think we should talk about it here, um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied are you with the direction the team is heading on the field? In parentheses, the outlook for the next two or three years. Now, I think this is a pretty good time to kind of ask this question because, you know, as we've said a few times on this show, I feel that phase one of the rebuild is over. I think that, you know, this team had to be completely rebuilt almost from scratch. And that involved a teardown, both of the roster, a teardown of bad contracts, a teardown of, you know, draft picks and everything. So you're in a position where you can start the rebuild. And I feel phase one is pretty much done. You know, I think most of the bad contracts are out of here now. Uh, the salary cap situation is greatly improved. We have more draft picks than we did before. Um, the question is, at this very bottom, is it fair to even ask this question of, do you like the direction we're headed in two or three years on the field, or is it really you like how this feels two or three years from an organizational standpoint? So what are your, what are your initial thoughts? Well, I think it's I think it's a convenient time of the year to ask this question because this is this is the time of year where everybody feels great about their team. I mean, uh, uh, throughout the year, the calendar year of January through December, you know, I, I think this is where people feel the strongest. They don't have any idea what their weaknesses are, other than on paper, all the things that they were a little lukewarm on. They hear, you know. Some backup corner broke up a pass, and it's like, oh, he could even start, you know. And so yeah. this is this is a great time of year to ask this question, you know, and get favorable results. But I agree, a hundred percent with this. I, I would say that we are midway through phase two. I think you know breaking it down in phases is probably correct, but I think that there was a little bit of phase one, phase two happening at the same time. Phase two being. You know, assembling a core of young players to build around, um, and I would say, you know, obtaining your your coach of the future. Now, I'm not. We'll get into the coaching shit in a minute, um, but I'll I'll leave it a little bit scaled back here. So, you know, the the replacing of bad contracts, the tear down from the top bottom, that's done. I would agree with that. Um, you know. There are very few large contracts on this roster right now. One of which was, you know, the franchise tag. Which, by the way, you're going to use your franchise tag just about every year. So, you know, there's going to be that contract. Um, and the other one is Nate Solder, which is, you know, now is not against this cap, but has been pushed out, which is beyond circumstances. You know, most of our stopgap solutions, I think, are are pretty much gone as well. I think. Uh, you know there has been a full teardown now. As far as assembling a core, we have, you know, a, what we assume to be your starting quarterback of the future franchise guy. This is this is what you know. Wh- this is what we're aiming for. We, we won't find that out year one or year two anyway. So, um, and barring and barring an extraordinary cir- set of circumstances, like we somehow luck into the number one pick in the draft next sure, year. Yeah. Or somehow we are able, you know, Trevor Lawrence falls to three. Um, you know, this is the guy we are going to be rolling with for the next two to four years, probably. Probably through the length of well, his rookie. I would say yeah. that's pretty much definitely barring injury or a total collapse of his play. But yeah, I mean, exactly. I, but, but what you aim for, you know, in terms of rebuilding a roster, just any roster, 
You aimed right. for getting your quarterback to be your five-year starter with the hopes that he's going to be your 10-year starter, right? Because let's face it, we're not going to be in a position to get the next franchise. We should not be in a position to get the next franchise quarterback. And if we are, part of the blame for that, why we are so bad to get one of the first picks in the drafts, will probably fall on the quarterback. I mean, it's very doubtful that, you know, Daniel Jones has proven he's your quarterback to ride with and his team is still 3-13. and 13. And, and even if three and thirteen is good enough to get you the number one pick, it may not be. That's so, true. That's um, true. So you've got that. You, you, we assume that your left tackle the future is on this roster as well. You assume that you've got a major skill player, which they've got in, in Saquon Barkley. That's, well, let's go even further. Like your left guard as well. I mean, we we, we think uh, I would think so too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Now you know. Those major offensive pieces of skill player, quarterback, left tackle, now you move down to solid guys that are young and you think are part of your future. And, you know, you can throw in there, uh, you know, Will Hernandez, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, I think has has proven himself to, to be, you know, that level of... Uh, do, you think, do you think Sterling Shepard's really considered part of the, of the core for the future? I don't. I mean, he's, he's a nice... He's a guy in the present where you don't want to just say, well, get rid of them, rebuilding for the future. But I don't see him as a piece for, you know, when this team ultimately is ready to make the playoffs. I think that's a little too far down the road. But he's definitely, he's a very good in the now receiver to have. I think that he, they, I think they think he is, but they have. And the, okay, so before the, I get into the, what I think, the reason I think this is because they gave him a contract extension, right? So he's signed through 2023. So yes, I think he is considered part of that. But I don't think that they're 100% sold and that's why they built the potential out in his contract in 2022. Um, so, sorry, he's not, it's through 2024 is where his contract is signed through. So yes, I think I think he's considered that. I think they think that highly of him. I think they think, um, you know, He's not. Uh, he doesn't. He's not getting number one wide receiver money. So I don't think they think that of him. But I think yes. I think he's. They think he's part of the young core of this team. Uh, they and I think they like his personality. I mean, when I say that, I mean in terms of his selflessness, his team effort. He's he's a a guy who is not afraid to block at the wide receiver position. You know, in addition to being so. Yeah, I I think so. Um, but again, this is not a guy that was drafted by Dave Gettleman, etc. But yet he got a contract extension anyway. And, and, and he's not drafted by Dave Gettleman, but this is Gettleman's fourth year, and he's still around. So that's got to tell you something. So yeah. I think when, you, when you're talking this long into Gettleman's regime, and you know the percentage of turnover in the roster from the day he took the job to right now is pretty significant, and he's still there. I think it's safe to say he passed the, you know. You know, he's not. He's, he's like he's not the uh, the birth parents of this kid, but he's definitely adopted enough where they call him dad and mom. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it makes sense. Um, but then you know you flip it to the other side of the ball, and you, I could I could go on, right? I, you know, mm-hmm. you 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 go out and you get Jabril Peppers. Um, you know, Xavier I McKinney. I consider, I consider him part of that core, actually. Peppers, yeah. Oh yeah, me too. Um, yeah. You know, McKinney is another really big one. Uh, you know, Dexter Lawrence and and Dalvin Tomlinson, I think, are guys that they really. Well, we'll see on Tomlinson if they if they give him the extension that I think he deserves. But you know, Dexter Lawrence, they've really really put these guys together. Other guys you can get really excited about are like Ryan Connolly, uh, etc. Et so um, yes, I think that they have. I think that's part of phase two. Um, and then, you know, when, when Pat Shermer was hired, it was, you know, wasn't a whole lot of fanfare on our side. You know, I wasn't shocked by the move, but by all the guys that they kind of brought in were just sort of like, none of them felt like they were going to be the guy, did they? I mean, even the guys that didn't get the job, just guys that came in and interviewed, they all felt like they'll hang around. Maybe we'll win a little bit. You know, maybe they'll... If you're talking about Pat Shermer, yeah, Pat Shermer's one of those guys where if you are a franchise that's in a rut for a decade or so, that's the type of guy that's going to kind of come in 
and kind of come and go, and you're going to forget about them. It's like how Ron Meyer was the coach of the Patriots in 1981. It's like they had a, a stretch of like, you know, really since they started up until, you know, the mid-90s of just being there. And they'd hire these guys. They Maybe you heard about them in the past where, oh, you know, he did something. He was a former, you know, great college player, and he's, you know, a middling assistant coach somewhere, and all of a sudden he gets a shot and he goes away. And that's kind of what that hire definitely felt like even at the time. And, uh, you know, Joe Judge, obviously, it's a bit of a risk. The guy has never really been a coordinator before, and it might be just one of those guys as well. But, uh, you know, now you get to see more of the clips of him, you know, giving pressers and, you know, you know, the daily show that's on MSG Network, you see more of him and, you know, it's different than just kind of the limited visibility we had in the offseason. We didn't know that much about him before. So he may, he might be the next in that line, or he might be someone who's like a mold breaker, you know, a mold breaker going forward. Yeah, so when when Pat Schirmer comes in, he feels a lot like signing Nate Solder to me. Um, he's a guy who is a necessary piece to move you along, and it's possible that you get something out of him that pushes you into the winning column but really is just to, to, to bridge the gap to where you want to be. And he is phase one to me. Pat Shermer is, embodies phase one. Um, and, and he's let go really signifies that phase one is over to me. So, you know, is it possible that Pat Shermer really comes in and, and it's like magic? It's like, holy shit, we just needed a new coach. Holy fuck, he's great. Um, you know, and suddenly we're, we're you know, eight and eight, seven and nine. And yeah, it was, of course, it was always possible. Was it likely? Not really. If this team was, let's give an example of the Tampa Bay Bucks in the late 90s that were a playoff team under Tony Dungy, but we're not good enough to, you know, take it to the next level. And they ultimately fired Dungy. Are you going to hire Pat Shermer as a guy to take you over the top? No, exactly. Exactly. So, so again, and this is this is Nate Solder to a T. The, the 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 offensive line is shit. We've got to figure something out. We've got to get somewhere, and sooner or later, we're going to get a new a new quarterback that needs to be protected. We've got to get somebody in here. You you can't you can't in one motion, ninety nine point nine nine percent of times in one offseason obtain. A left tackle of the future and a quarterback of the future. It's it's just not gonna happen. Ben McAdoo and Pat Shermer were not fired because the bad record of the New York Giants. There was other, you know, holistic problems, structural problems, organizational problems that these guys showed that they were a little over their head in the jobs that they were in. Um, you know, Ben McAdoo, I think, was a rush job because they feared losing him to Philly. Uh, you know. Pat Shermer, I mean, the, the pedigree of a, of a good offensive, you know, uh, you know, good offensive coordinator at Minnesota kind of made it like it wasn't as much of a gamble hiring him. But you know, you being a, a coordinator is a lot different than being a head coach. And you know, for the reasons you said, there were a lot of problems with this team for the last several years. Talent being the biggest one, you know, lack of availability to upgrade the the, the roster because of bad drafting and, and, and salary cap issues. But those guys didn't last very long because they just weren't good coaches. It had nothing to do with, well, the Giants were 4-12 and and they're 4-12 and again. And, you know, it's, you know, what happened during those 16 Sundays is the icing on the cake for the bigger problems they had. Right. So, you know, is Joe Judge the coach of the future? I don't know. Um, but... Nobody Do I, I, th- I think that that hire is so out of the mold that that's your hope. You know, Pat, that wasn't really the ho- – I mean, I guess it's always your hope. But, you know, it's not what you're aiming for with Pat Shermer. Pat Shermer is to guide you into the next phase of this rebuild. Joe Judge is, is an outside-of-the-box hire that blew them away in interviews. And it, it, it seemed like a, a must-grab. You know, he's, he's the guy. That's what they think of him. They, I, I truly believe that Joe Judge is the guy they think is going to push this team in the direction they want to go. Not in the direction, but forward. You know what I mean? Um, and the reason I say that is because they could have gotten anybody to just push along. You know, they canceled interviews to hire this guy. 
Yeah, I mean, if you go back and remember our shows and back during the coaching search and everything, we, you know, we were handicapping who we thought it would be and everything, and you know, Joe Judge wasn't really on our list. I mean, like, oh, they're bringing him we, in even for Even when we had the, the interview listed, I don't think we said more than two minutes worth of words about him. I think I might have said something like a special teams coach, huh? Yeah. That might have been it, so... Yeah, so I mean, let, let's circle this back into the original question. So based upon that you believe we're in phase two of this master plan, on the, let's, let's start with the, the question at hand. On the field, how confident do you feel for the next two to three years? And then let's make it to a bigger question. Organizationally, do you like where this organization is going the next two or three years on a scale of one to ten? Based on right now, I'd put us at a seven for both. I think this is a very important year. To drag me down to a five or up or, or bring me up to a nine, you know what I mean? It's it's a it, it it's an interesting time. Like I said, we're we're kind of at phase two, but important milestones are happening here. You know, everything that Joe Judge is, you know, we've heard about so much since he was hired. We haven't seen shit. We haven't seen anything. Um, so that's a really important thing, you know. The, you know, one of the other things I said about you know getting your three big things on offense, left tackles one of them. We haven't seen Andrew Thomas yet, but they made the move, so I feel good about it. It was the guy I thought they should take. I like the move, but again, we have to see this on the field. Who the fuck am I? I'm not a scout. I'm not a general manager. So what I think kind of doesn't matter. I feel good about it, but you know, if they whiffed real hard on Andrew Thomas, then you know they're the professionals, not me. So you know. I feel good about it now, but it could still spiral out of control. So I'm putting us at a nice seven for both. Um, this is a really important year, and uh, I think that they're doing everything right. You know, there's a couple moves here and there that maybe I don't agree with. Maybe I wish were done a little differently. But for the most part, I'm pretty happy. You know, I, I, I like where things seem to be going. Yeah, I, I think organizational, I'll take the bigger one first. I'm going to put that at about a seven, I think. Uh you know, I, I think overall the moves we've made, I mean, they were pretty drastic things that had to happen and people were not going to be happy about it. You know, getting rid of fan favorites, you know, look for you know, guys like Olivia Vernon and that you need to get that cap number down and it's sacrifice short term wins and things. You're going to put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, um, you know organizationally, you know, they went out and they got their quarterback. It may not have been the quarterback everybody wanted or the time they did or whatever, but, you know, or the year they wanted that quarterback got, but they, they do have that quarterback to work with. Um, so I'm going to put like about, about a seven right now. Uh, on the field, to me, I really want to say incomplete. I, I mean, I, I guess I have to give a number. I'm going to go a little more lower to probably like a six because, you know, it all comes down to, and you talked about Andrew Thomas, to me, it all really comes down to Daniel Jones. And, you know, what is Daniel Jones going to be? I mean, this is going to be, you know, this is his first full year, I mean, full year of playing where he is the man from, you know, the last snap of week 17 last year to week one this year. Um, you know, new coordinator to learn a, a new system, but you know, this team, as most NFL teams do, if not all, lives and dies with their quarterback. And you know, I'm not asking that Daniel Jones has to be this polished guy and hit his ceiling this year, but this year is very important to say: Do we have the building blocks of somebody that will be at least, at least, an adequate? professional NFL starting quarterback, if not more. And, uh, I mean, it starts with that. Uh, second thing, you know, you talk about, you know, the offensive line, building that offensive line and, you know, seeing how we can protect this quarterback, how we can protect, you know, the, the, the jewel of this offense, which, you know, Saquon Barkley is, but, you know, in the important scheme, isn't as important as other things are, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, Dave Gettleman has put his bets out there. You know, he's playing blackjack. He has his chips out, and he's going to play this hand, and let's see how it works or not. Uh, I'd like to think that, you know, these guys are, you know, Daniel Jones will be an, an, an adequate, successful 
starting quarterback. I'd like to think that you know this offensive line is going to show you know improvement over last year, and you know you know get rid of some of the dumb turnovers and the inexperience and the the, the result of bad coaching and, and bad talent. But I don't know. I think it's still it's still too soon to tell if over the next three to five years this team is going to be knocking on the playoffs anytime soon or it's going to take longer. So we'll have to play it out and then see. It's all I can say. So, you know, a lot of this is, is hinging on Daniel Jones um, and uh, and Joe Judge, right? Uh, you know, I, I think we, we think that Dave Gettleman is tied to those two things with his lifeline, right? And, and, and let's put Jason Garrett in that also. Okay, yeah. I mean, Joe Judge is one thing. But really, I mean, he's going to be deferring a lot to Jason Garrett for designing and, uh, you know, programming this offense and play calling this offense. Joe Judge has, in the last 24 hours, been catapulted, I, and I'm, I'm a little surprised, catapulted into the NFL, like, national spotlight a little bit. Um, based on some of his coaching techniques. So, you know, one of the things, you know, that, that beat writers noticed and asked him about was, you know, there's no names on any of the jerseys. Uh, and and his, his answer to that was, was pretty interesting. It was something along the lines of, uh, you know, he, want, he wants us all to know each other. They should know each other by looking at each other. You know, they should know their teammates. They should know their players. They should know their coaches. They don't need names. And, you know, he mentioned he's, he's been at institutions where, you know, they didn't even have numbers. I don't think that's allowed by NFL rules, I think is what he was saying. So, you know, they have at least numbers on. One of the other things he was saying is he wanted to know, you know, people to identify, you know, is this a linebacker next to me or is this a safety? You know, what's going on here? Really, really understand what they were looking at. And, you know, we'll deal with the numbers later on game day is kind of what he was or, or you know, preparation for game day kind of thing. You know, that seems to be a college thing, right, you were saying? Yeah, I mean, colleges do that all the time where they'll do things. I know in Florida they used to put a black piece of tape on the back of your helmet when you've, you know, officially become a member of the team. If you're a, you're a freshman or something, you had to earn your stripe. Uh, you know, other places, you know, putting the stickers on the helmets for, you know, like, like Ohio State does and stuff, you have to earn that. And it starts, in the, it starts in the beginning. You know, everybody's just a number. Everybody's just this. So, I mean, that's all motivational stuff and, you know, whatever. It's, it's interesting to kind of note that's his techniques. But, you know, we're also dealing with a pretty young team, this New York Giants team. And uh, this isn't uh, – it's interesting that he's doing this coming from New England, you know, a team that, uh, you know – a much older team, more veteran team. Everybody kind of knew their roles more. I mean, he's doing something different, which is interesting. That, that to me is the more interesting thing than the actual act of, you know, no last names or something. Well, I mean, he, this is also a guy who's coming from Saban and, and multiple college circles, you know, also. So, I mean, this isn't strictly a Belichick family tree of, of coaching yeah. kind of thing. I, I do believe that he has – an amalgamation of different techniques he's picked up and things that he think works best with people. Um, you know, I, I, I don't feel a way about it. It's fine. Uh, you know, some of the notes that I read about what the practices are like, you know, just some things that I'm, I'm words basically that I, that I've gotten out of this is that very fast paced, very efficient, um, a big focus on ball security. Uh, you know, saw some videos of him walking around trying to punch out balls from players carrying them around. Um, very detail oriented, and that's trickled down from Joe Judge in in the overall practice sense to the individual, you know, drills. You know, uh, Kevin Zeitler was saying about Colombo. You know, Jason Garrett. People were saying about Jason Garrett as well. So this is a very detail oriented staff. Coaches are incredibly vocal, um, really screaming a lot um, at, at players, and, and I. I Normally, wouldn't even think anything of this based on everything I've experienced as as a kid playing football. As you know, I've seen footage of things. Except beat writers have said I've covered this team and other teams. You know, since 2012, I've never heard a practice like I heard yesterday. So, 
I guess it's just extra vocal. And, you know, this is obviously more than just Judge. It was passed on from him to the other coaches, you know, to, to be this level of vocal, etc. But the thing that's really pushed him into the limelight is um, making players, coaches, units run laps when they make a mistake. Now, it's not, that that's kind of the headline version. Art Stapleton broke it, brought it down broke it down to be it's not every little mistake they're running laps it's you know there were about three laps that he could count in the practice you know one was a couple of individual players one was an entire unit and one I think was coaches um you know my immediate thought with with this was oh nice we have a disciplinarian you know one of the things I felt about Pat Shermer is that he wasn't a very strict disciplinarian you know I didn't think he was a pushover but I mean I didn't think he was the kind of guy that big money guys really worried about getting flack from. And I know for a fact, well, I don't know for a fact, I definitely got that feeling that players walked all over Ben McAdoo. Um, Now, am I saying that I want a Tom Coughlin fine for being on time and not five minutes early? I don't know. I don't care. You know, whatever works. But this to me that this is somehow a bad idea which is being said by the Shannon Sharps of the world Emmanuel Acho a bunch of other people saying that this is silly stupid you know not good for grown men etc I just don't agree with and the first thing I thought of was in the 2010-2011 you know seasons Perry Fuel was a defensive coordinator for this team a team that won the Super Bowl okay um, and I remember specifically defensive players had to do push-ups when they screwed up plays. You know, they got burnt. The, the cornerback gets burnt. You're doing push-ups. And it translated onto – literally Justin Tuck, I remember a game you and I were at. Can't tell you who it was, but almost had a sack, had the quarterback wrapped up. He threw the ball out of bounds. Justin Tuck on the field after the play does 10 push-ups. You know, I don't think that this is a bad coaching technique at all. Well, I mean, every year it seems like there's less and less training and physicalness, physicality in training camp. I mean, they cut down the time more and more. You know, there's no more two-a-days, hardly anymore. There's none of any of that stuff anymore. And, you know, how do you get this team physically ready to play? It's not easy. So I, I guess, you know, I don't... Listen, the whole thing about that's not how you treat men. I mean, I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, you've been to boot camp? <laughs> you know, they, they, they have no problem doing that in boot camp. So that, that to me is – it sounds like reporters angling for a story and trying to create something really out of nothing. Um, if it was a big deal, the players' union would file a complaint about it. haven't seen anything about that. So, you know, I – to me, this is a non-story that I honestly didn't even really know about until you brought it to my attention. So I'm not worrying about it at all. And, you know, we'll see. You know, if it, does it work? Does it result in less mental mistakes? Does it work in a team in the fourth quarter doesn't wilt and die? Well, then, then it's good that everybody will do it. If we still see mental mistakes from a young team and giving up fourth quarter leads because they're out of gas, then, you know. This won't, they won't do that anymore. So, well, you, you're touching on a whole bunch of really important things here. You know, the first thing I'm going to say is the people that seem to be the most vocal about this are guys who are former players who now work in the entertainment side of the NFL. They're not really analysts. They don't analyze shit. What they do is they argue with other people on the screen to fire up people to get them to watch to see what they say next, etc. Shannon Sharp hasn't said anything interesting or noteworthy probably since he had a uniform on, and even then I question that. Well, first of all, if, if this is coming from the the uh, the talking head fighting shows, and then, then we should just shut this off right now because those things are just pointless. Those are just creating debate out of nothing, and you know, there's nothing like analytical about it or really instructive about it. It's just Somebody has a hot take and somebody has a hot take on the other side. So if this is where the source of all this is coming from, then who cares? Well, I mean, I don't know if it's the source, but, you know, of course you have you have other players on Twitter that give their two cents and that's that's fine. You know, those people are not 
really in the entertainment side. This is just their personal account, whatever. And then the fans get riled up. Fans, don't listen to the Shannon Sharps of the world. I'm telling you now. He's got nothing to say except what makes his company money, his, his program money. I will guarantee you one thing. There will not be one free agent who does not sign with the New York Giants because they have to run laps after practice. You know, they will come to the New York Giants if the money is right and the opportunity to play is right. So if they if that's not a problem to prevent people from coming here, who cares? If anything, if it's me, right, I would rather – I mean, again, I'm signing anywhere anyway. But I would rather be signing with the team that if I fuck up, I make a mistake, I've got to run a lap, then go sign with the, the Tom Coughlin team – where if I'm not five minutes early, I'm losing actual money. You know what I mean? Thousands of dollars for being three minutes early instead of five. You have You're going to tell me that that's, that's, that's a, that would infuriate me. I'm, I'm not even going to lie to you. But you also have not been an entitled athlete who's had his ass kiss his entire life. I mean, so if that's the case, then both are going to annoy me. I'm still going to rather do the thing I'm probably – I'm still going to have to run. You know right, I mean? I'm, so, saying, I'm saying, though, if you are the pampered guy in high school and college and, and in the NFL or something, it's not a slam dunk answer to say I'd rather have the more discipline and, and this guess, and that. Yeah. My perspective is off is what you're saying? Yeah. Well, that's, that's but, fine. Yeah, yeah. But so, so, you know, the other things you're, you're pointing out, the physicality, one of the things my, my favorite current era non-giant player that I can think of off the top of my head is always Sean Taylor. Um and one of the things that you know made him so great was the fact that he used to run home from practice of his own accord as an NFL player, not just college. He would do that regularly. They would see his car in the parking lot. He was gone. He drove to practice, ran home. You know, things like that make players great. That they have more gas in the fourth quarter. You know, these are punishment sort of things to get people to focus on mental errors. I think that works. I think the next time you line up, you start thinking about every single thing that could go wrong and really get your head in the fucking game. You know, worry about all your real-life shit. As soon as practice is over, right now I'm focused. I think that that's fine. You know, I, I think that that works. Uh, so, I mean, you know... You know there's, there's many ways that coaches motivate players. I mean, and players motivate players. There's kangaroo courts where you pay $10 if, you know, your shoe is untied. I mean, it's all, it's all these different things, so... I mean, this is really no different than what other teams do. It's just something that a reporter picked up on and, you know, kind of went, quote-unquote, viral through NFL training camp world. So this is not a big deal. Uh, yeah, I agree. It, yeah. If this becomes a big deal, we'll know about it. As of right now, don't listen to the Shannon Sharps of the world. Who cares? You know, move on. Guys, be excited. Don't get caught up in the whirlwind of idiots. Um but, you know, training camp is, 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 you know, continuing. So normally we would be talking about, you know, things we would be watching for in the upcoming preseason game. That isn't happening. And in fact, I think we're way beyond the point. I think we'd be at like preseason game three by now normally. Or uh, maybe we two? Would be, we would be at least be at two. Yeah. We would probably be – this would probably be – this would be the dress rehearsal weekend. Because yeah. next weekend would be the Thursday right. night game, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're way beyond that. So things that I think I, – well, I think – that I'm definitely going to be looking out for uh, from reporters looking at practice, etc. Um, that I think we all should be looking out for, right, is who are the starting O-line guys? You know, we have a lot of new pieces – we have, you know, Nate Solder is opted out, uh, and it's a big deal. So who wins out those starting spots, who seems to be getting more reps, definitely something I'm keeping an eye on. Um, big thing for me is who's going to be the starting center. That's my biggest thing on the offensive line right I, And now. I would agree with that. I, I've been saying for the last couple of years how important, you know, you can get those two guards and, you know, really think you're going to run the ball. But if the center is getting blown off the line, it doesn't matter if you run right or left. Or, or especially in a league where it's so much of the, uh, you know, of the shotgun is used now that you know it just does you know bad snaps and all that type of stuff too. I mean, it's something you kind of laugh at until it, it becomes a problem. 
Yeah. No, I mean, stepping up in the pocket is a huge deal for any quarterback. I mean, there's going to be times when blitzes are going to come off the edge, and even if they're not, a speed rusher is just going to win sometimes. And a quarterback having room to step up in the pocket because the center is win- is doing his job is super important. You know, the best left tackle still gets beat once a game, at least. So, you know, having a center that wins most of the time, odds of them both getting beat on the same play, pretty low. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. Center, big deal. You know, the other thing, you know, with the O-line is just how they're moving people around. You know, we have Nick Gates, who who is practicing at center, can also do right tackle. Um, you know, we've got Cam Fleming at right tackle. Matt Pert was drafted, could definitely play at, at right tackle. Shane Lemieux was drafted, took some snaps at center. He's a kind of backup guard at this point, left guard spot. How they decide to move these versatile guys around, I'm really interested in. One other note, Kevin Zeitler said he was he's ready to play center if he's asked. He knows how to take sna- you know, give snaps. So, really interesting to see what combinations they put together and, and you know, ultimately went out that, you know, second team, third team kind of thing. Yeah, the thing that scares me is we have a lot of guys who can play center, but do we have a center? Yeah. No, I, I agree with you, <laughs> and I don't think we do. Um uh, you know, the the cornerback situation is going to be one to watch. You know, where is Julian Love lining up? Where is Darnay Holmes lining up? Are they in the slot? Does someone take the outside? Is the outside taken by somebody else uh, across from James Bradbury? Definitely, definitely, definitely something to watch because, like it or not, we're going to be watching it all year. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, again, the solution might be on someone else's roster right now, but, yeah, that's one of the things that's going to kind of keep us up at night worrying about the secondary and who's going to be back there at the side of Bradbury. So that's definitely key to watch. The other thing are, are the important guys coming off of injury. Evan Ingram. You know, seems to be working back from rehab. Ryan Connolly as well was a guy that, you know, was really starting to blossom very early in the season when uh, he tore his knee up. Uh, That actually felt like an under-the-radar major, major blow when it happened because he was playing so well and it was like, after the year, it was kind of like, oh, that sucks. But like, no, (laughs) that's a big problem because he was, you know, he was going to be a a major player on this team last year, Mm -hmm. so... Oh, definitely. And, you know, it's not an injury that we, – we're, we're just so jaded now. I mean, 15 years ago, a torn ACL could end a career. Sure. Yeah, you know, so – 40 years ago, it was a limp <laughs> you had for the rest of your life. Yeah. So it, it's, it's something that bears keeping an eye on. I'm interested to see see video of and hear reports of – how well he's moving around, how quickly he's moving around. Because, you know, at the Combine, Ryan Connolly is not your super elite, fast, physical trait guy. What he is is such an intelligent read-and-react player that he gets to his spot earlier than everybody else because he knows it's going to happen. Now, he's a football player. Exactly. <laughs> he is. Yeah, but, you know, if he's a step off, you know, then that, that kind of puts him two steps behind. So... Definitely something that I want to keep my eye on. Um, And as always, which I normally would be the center focus for everybody in preseason, Daniel Jones and his development, how he's moving in the new system, and how he looks versus last year. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something. Daniel Jones is going to be, once live bullets are coming at him, we're really going to see. I mean, I'm interested to hear the reports of how well he's picking up the offense and... uh, what type of ball is he throwing? How is he, you know, the more the coaches are throwing at him and how fast they're throwing more and more at him and everything. But that's really, that's the biggest difference for me. Of all the other things, you know, seeing who's lining up, that's something that's very tangible. You can see it right there. But I think once we really see him, and that's where him not having those, I don't know, 50 or so snaps in preseason is going to hurt him a little bit is, film to see him in live situations and how do you adapt as opposed to these walkthroughs and even if they have scrimmages or something. So I think Daniel Jones watch really for me starts on week one. How does he look? How is he adjusting? How is he adapting? How is he growing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, it's real weird without a preseason this year. 
it, it's you know a big injury thing that I'm always worried about, but it it plays an important part. You know, it's not for the Giants in this stage in their development as a team. It's much more important than a team like Dallas, for example. Well, bad example, new coach, but I mean a, a team. It's been uh, like Pittsburgh, for example. Mm-hmm. Them not having a preseason is not as big of a deal as it is for a team like the Giants, who is having you know. New quarterback, all new coaching staff, a lot of turnover, a lot of youth. So, And that's pretty much it for right now. Um, we will be back next week with more news and reports. And we are, you know, gearing up for the regular season. I'm pretty excited. I feel good. I'm starting to feel more and like, more like there will be the start of an NFL season. If you asked me a month ago, I'd say no way. Um... All, everybody keeps you know helping their protocols out and making it better. There's lessons learned from you know all the bubbles from the other sports. I think there's lessons being learned from college football. Um, I mean, I, I'm cautiously optimistic we'll start something. I, the question is going to be once you get these teams out of their training camp bubble and a little more tempted to pierce their regular season bubble, what happens? And how fast does the NFL react to somebody, one case identified, how fast do they quarantine that person? How fast do they you know, prevent it becoming a hotspot within a clubhouse, within a locker room, within a position room, within a team? So uh, I think they're going to give it a go and give it a, a start. How far it goes, who knows? Yeah. No, I, 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 you're absolutely right. But uh, we'll be back next week. Same damn show, same damn places. iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, everywhere. You know, we'll we'll be there. Spotify, we're there. Give us a nice free subscribe there. And this episode will be right there in the morning for you to listen to while you go on your unemployment run or while you work from home. Or maybe you are an essential employee and you're still going to work, so you have to drive. So we'll be there no matter what your status is. Yeah, and if you've listened to our show five or six times in a row and you want to follow our exploits further than the podcast, we are very active on Twitter. He is football underscore grump. I am the cranky fan. So a lot of stuff going on uh, in the world of sports and the world of the NFL and the world of the Giants. So give us a follow and uh, let's, uh, let's, let's chat. Yeah. And, um, uh, the the show has one as well. So at Just Giants Pod is the the show's Twitter extension as well. So everybody, have yourselves a great week and keep checking for updates from beat reporters because this is as exciting as it gets. <laughs> well, actually, in the regular season, if we're nine and zero, is a little more exciting. But <laughs> point taken. Yeah. All right, everyone. Go Giants. Go Giants.